This is Your True North, a program that uses stories to help you discover your best self. I'm your host, Cindy Camp. Please join me as I ask people from all walks of life how they've used core values as a moral compass, guiding life and career decisions. Are you seeking your true north? Then welcome. Welcome, Emily Bridson. It's wonderful to have you here today. Emily is a Michigan native, a community activist, business professional, and retired professional athlete who serves as Kentwood, Michigan, first ward city commissioner. And I want to start by asking you, Emily, to tell me the most interesting thing about you. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here today as your guest and um, just happy to be able to share and, and tell a little bit about who I am and what I've done in the community. But, you know, an interesting story is, and this is, my parents weren't happy about this decision, but um, I was down, I went to the University of Central Florida and I was an athlete there. So I played volleyball and um, had caught the attention of a professional scout. And so I got a call mid-semester of my last year in college and there was an opening to join a team in Spain but I had to um, be there in a week and so um, much to the chagrin of my family and friends I dropped out of school mid-semester to pursue a dream overseas and pretty much packed up everything and said here here I come and um, it was interesting it was um, it was challenging to navigate that as a young a young person by myself overseas. And those were the days before cell phones. So I had to use like a pay phone here and there. It was just, it was a very different time. And so I really was catapulted into the world, making life choices by myself um, across the world. Um, but what I learned is my love of food and cultures and traveling the world, had I not kind of taken a leap of faith when the opportunity came up, I don't think I'd be the same person that I am today. Did your parents come around to the idea that you were going to be a professional athlete in Spain? Well, it's it's difficult. I mean, it's tricky because um, I wasn't the best student in school. I was fairly, very average. Um, and so the thought was, well, she's definitely not gonna finish school. And I thought, boy, they don't they don't know me very well because that's something that um, I'm very passionate about is I'm a lifelong learner and um, graduating from college was something that um, was gonna happen regardless of professional uh, pursuits that I had with, with sports. And so, you know, I think that's one thing I learned at a very young age is, is to kind of not listen to all the, the static and noise in the background and make sure that you're true to yourself with the things that you wanna accomplish in life. And so for me, that was a great lesson to learn at such a young young age as a young adult that I still value today. And there's so much interesting research that shows that the first half of our lives is often where we are living into other people's expectations. In the second half, we are better able to listen to our own inner voice and start to live perhaps what's a more authentic life. And I love that you were able to do that as a young person already, you know, before leaving before finishing college, knowing that there was an opportunity you couldn't pass up and leaving during your senior year, but also knowing that you would be committed to finishing and that it didn't mean that you were just going to walk away from something and never complete it. Right. Well, you know, it's funny because I think that's really a lesson I've struggled with my whole life is other people's expectations and what's truly going to make me happy. 
And I still have to be very mindful if, I, if I'm making choices based on what my head thinks is a great decision because it makes sense and it's rational and all the credentials are there or whatever that is versus really following my heart. I think following what you're passionate about in life um, is so important because I see people that are in jobs that are just going to work and checking out when they come home because it's a way to make money. But I think if you're really passionate about um, a particular area or a subject, the hope is that you can parlay into doing more of that all the time and getting paid for it. And I'm a believer that I think you can. And you mentioned some of your passions being cultures and travel and food. Anything else that you would think of as kind of on the, near the top of that list? Yeah, I found that um, I take a lot of personality profiles and I found I'm an influencer. Um, I like, I have a vision um, for the things that I think are important, um, especially for the city of Kentwood. One of the things that I would love to see us take on is have a sustainability plan. So for me, um, the environment is a very high priority and how we all participate in managing the health of the earth. And so um, to me, being able to advocate for those positions and move a city along or others. And what I found too with my work in Kentwood is that I like to advocate for others. I think there's so many people, and I, I don't know how familiar you are with Kentwood, but East Kentwood High School, uh, our students speak over 60 languages. They're from over 70 countries. And there's so many people that don't have a voice because um, they've come to Kentwood as a refugee and now they're a new American and they're not in a lot of leadership roles. I don't see that at our city, whether it's on boards or commissions or city employees. Um, and so um, trying to champion and mentor young adults to get involved and help them find a leadership role within the community. Well, and talking about passions leads me to ask you about your values and wondering if you can tell us about several of the values that are really important to you and maybe a story. A couple of things that I really that came to me were um, one was community. I relocated to West Michigan eight years ago from Lansing because I wanted to be a part of a really um, tight community that had the expectations that you give back. To me, that's really important. And I've always been a lifelong volunteer. Um, but uh, West Michigan really allowed me to participate in a way that I felt Lansing was not able to do that for me. And so I moved here in 2011 to really be part of the community and get involved and give back. One of the other values I think, which I try to live out in my role in Kentwood is um, seeking justice. So I try to have my efforts focus on peace and a respect really for, for all people, You know, advocating for others, getting others involved. Um, so I'm not speaking for others, right? I don't think that's really my role, it's to speak on behalf of others when I've gained and listened to all of their knowledge, right? It's bringing those concerns or comments forward. Um, that's what I consider my role to be as um, an elected official. And then influence, I talked about that. So, um, you know, I'm reading, I don't know if you've read A City Within a City. No, I haven't. Oh, it's very good. Todd E. Robinson wrote this book, and it goes back to the 50, you know, early 1900s of how Grand Rapids, all the power structures were built in Grand Rapids. 
And specifically, it, it was, it's really educating me. I'm in the throes of it right now. It's so great. But it talked to me, it, it, it gave me a definition of managerial racism. And this is basically the thought that business leaders and the Chamber of Commerce back in the day um, kind of ruled, made all of the structures like redlining and all of the mortgages that they gave people or didn't give people and how it kind of... Um, put the, the power in the hands of business leaders um, and they kind of ran local government to kind of keep that power structure in place and tamp down opposition. And so some of the struggles we're having with um, community policing, for example, or um, affordable housing and the homelessness issue we're experiencing today are some of the, the repercussions of those power structures. And so when I think of influence, I was trying to think of a really concrete example of how it how it feels to me as a, an official. It's like um, I remember. I mean, I'm kind of old school, but when we used to do science projects way back in the day, you'd have like glue and toothpicks, and you'd you'd try to make models and stuff out of glue and toothpicks, and it's almost like I feel like disabling. Uh, power structure is almost like building those toothpicks with glue, this whole big kind of fort or house, and then me coming along trying to plink off a, a toothpick that's dried and set in place. That's what it feels like to me to try to disable a structure that has been put in place by power and money for a very long time. And especially as a female, there's not many women that are elected officials, um, same as people of color. And so to come along and to speak out and try to influence and change those longstanding agendas of power is a very interesting position to be in. I think it takes a lot of strength. What about your family and what you would think of as a values origin story or the key influences, especially from childhood, that really have shaped the, the values that you mentioned, like community and influence? Well, you know, my parents, it's, it's kind of, it's, it, this is, I think, what shaped a lot of my belief system. Um, at an early age, my parents got divorced, and I was in fourth grade. And back then, divorces didn't really happen. There was a lot of um, intact families at that time. And so my mom changed from being more of a homemaker to being our full-time provider for my sister and I. So um, my, my home changed um, very quickly. And she she struggled with alcoholism, um, and which later grew into um, prescription painkillers. She had you know some health problems, but she really never beat that. And she died. She passed away a couple years ago, but we weren't really close. And it really taught me to to be really independent, which has its pros and cons, right? And it really taught me that I kind of have to figure things out and and take care of myself. And it also taught me a little bit of distrust in people, and especially men, because she had been harmed, you know, just hurt through a, an emotional loss of, of having that, that partnership with my dad, you know, hit, their marriage dissolved. And so those were really, I think, hard life lessons for me. And I've had to really try to change that internal dialogue. Um, so I think now I'm 47. It's like you you can't you can't move the needle by yourself. It really takes a village, right? It takes a community, and many more minds at the table are so much more powerful than what you can ever do alone. And I know that's very cliche, but 
when you're you're kind of forced to fend for yourself as a young child, it's very hard to overcome some of those early lessons of not survival, but my sister and I lovingly like to call it, we were kind of raised by wolves um, because we felt um, we had power or we had shelter and we had food, but we had very little supervision or guidance or mentoring or all of those things I think kids really need to thrive. And so one of my big things is being mindful of um, those choices. Are Am I making them out of habit from what I learned early on? Or am I making new choices as an adult to help me help me move forward? I once read um, someone observing that even when you're trying hard, it, 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 it just takes so much effort to move even three feet away from your own mother in the sense mm-hmm. that we, we copy so many of the things that we see. And a lot of those things can be good because we, you know, our parents, uh, you know, in different ways do their best. But at the same time, as you're pointing out, sometimes you really have to try to create a different way for yourself. Um, And you saw your mother trying to be independent, and it sounds like you have been able to replicate independence in your life, but also making quite a few changes. Um, I'm wondering if religion or spirituality played any role in your development, especially with regard to values. I grew up, My both my parents were, they grew up in Catholic households where their parents were fairly religious, attended church very often. I went through, um, uh, was confirmed and all of those great things in the Catholic church, knowing that for me, it was never a great fit. It felt like a... You know, putting a shoe, putting my foot in a shoe that was three sizes too small. It 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 just wasn't the right thing for me. But back then, it was more of an expectation. Right? It wasn't a choice. Right? This is this is where who our families were, and this was the choice that I had for myself, which I didn't make myself. Right? I would have I would have made a no new choice to maybe uh, probably not participate. Um, But. I think growing up and, and looking now, I, I just joined a church. Well, I'm actually a visitor at a church. I shouldn't say that. But it's Plymouth United Church of Christ. And I really like it because they are open and affirming. I'm an LGBTQ ally. And they actively work on social justice issues. And what I love about this, which um, they they let you, you, they come, you come as you are. Right. There's all different folks on the realm of they said they even have atheists to very devout folks. But you know what? They respect everybody where they're at. And so for me, I'm more spiritual and I'm even reading a book on um, Buddhism. Um, It's called, let's see, what what makes you not a Buddhist? So I'm trying to I think still for me, I'm still on my journey. But the one thing I really love about this church is that they're mindful, right? They're open, they're mindful, because I think to be your authentic self, people are who they are. And I think the more that we can respect that um, from a values perspective or a spiritual or religious perspective, it lets it lets people live their be their best selves in so many ways. And for me and as an adult right now, it's hard for me to understand why we just don't value others for who they are. I think we could do more of that. I'm going to ask you about a personal relationship that's affected your values. Is there one um, 
person who's really had a big impact for you? Yeah, I think so. Um, one of my former managers, it was kind of nice. A lot of my managers happened to be men for some reason. It was nice because I didn't, my dad, um, I'd see him probably every other week when I was a little kid. So he he was always there in the background making sure that I was successful and I had what I needed. But we didn't have like a really tight knit relationship. And so when I first uh, started working in the world and was a young professional, I had opportunities to meet all kind of managers and they happened to be men for, for a particular, don't know why. And one of them was very influ- influential to me because I remember telling him I felt like I wasn't advancing in my career like I wanted to. Being a professional athlete, I was very focused. Um, I was very goal-oriented. I was very competitive, and I needed an outlet to always kind of be working on the next thing. And he said, you know what? If you feel like you're not having those opportunities in your professional career, he's like, you have to seek them out in your community. And... I, and when it, so when I was younger, I thought, oh, that's kind of crazy, you know. I, I don't think I don't didn't really buy into that. But the more um, the more I did that in volunteering, I gained new skill sets. Like um, one of the first roles I took on, I sat on the board for Habitat for Humanity in Lansing, and we worked on marketing plans. We put together fundraising events. I invited my friends. We did outreach. I brought in a friend that had a band, and he was our um, he was our entertainment. And now he's parlayed that into having a band as a part-time gig for fun, right? For his own mental health. And so I do think that um, creating opportunities, if if there's barriers to entry in some place, you're going to have to figure out in other places where maybe there's not those barriers and take advantage of them because, boy, that's really um, it's really allowed me to grow and to flourish. One of the things I learned from Habitat for Humanity is that I wasn't really competent in reading all the financial statements. So sitting on the board, and I thought, oh my gosh, if I really want to create a life of service for myself, I'm going to have to go back to school and get an MBA because I really want to be a lifelong contributor as a community member. And that was definitely a limiting factor. And so I went back and got an MBA um, several years ago. And now I have incorporated that into my professional life as well, right? I've managed P&L statements and budgets and put together strategic plans. And so Sometimes you just don't know what a class uh, will teach you or, you know, that you're interested in or an opportunity or to get involved. I think doing more of the things that you're interested in, you learn, you learn about what you like and don't like. And and that can really enhance and help you grow professionally and personally. Yeah. And that advice to get more involved in the community has borne a lot of fruit in your life. And we're going to talk about that. I just want to pause briefly and let everyone know that today our guest is Emily Britson. She's a Michigan native and she is a community activist, a business professional and a retired professional athlete. When you were growing up, were you encouraged to think deeply about who you really were at your core and to act on that and to consider what you wanted to do with your life? Or did those things not get addressed very specifically? 
Boy, I wish they would have, you know, I think, oh my gosh, you know, when, because I, I talk, uh, so one young person I'm mentoring now, for example, I just love her. She's so kind. She's so smart. She's so empathetic. She graduated from East Kentwood a couple years ago, and she's really immigration, interested in immigration rights. So I got her a job with a couple of my friends uh, that are lawyers that work on immigration. I thought, you know, one of my, one of my dreams would be to have her become an immigration lawyer, or you know what, it's whatever it's going to make her really happy and she's passionate about um but i you know listening to her talk is a probably a she's 20 right and i'm 47 now she has so much more emotional intelligence and life skills and and empathy and kindness and she's so thoughtful and so um i really wish you know i that's why i think mental health and 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 having those mentorships and and relationships with other adults is just so important because I feel like she has such a leg up on thriving and finding her passion and, and really being a huge contributing member to our society um, because she's had those um, role models and support structures that I think young adults and young people really need. Otherwise, you know, you can get there a different path like I did, right? You kind of trial and error it and you learn along the way, but it took me a long time to get to where she's at as a 20-year-old person. Um, so there's many different ways you can get to, um, I think, you know, being a healthy, emotionally intelligent person. And you mentioned mentoring her. I'm curious if you know how she developed those things so early in life. Did she have parents who were very um, explicit about, we want you to think about your goals, your abilities, or is it through mentoring relationships that she's had with people like you? You know, that's interesting because I was uh, uh, introduced to her through um, an East Kentwood government teacher. And so politics, right? We're, we're two junkies and we have a lot of the similar interests. And he said, you know what? She's really struggling and not struggling, but she, she didn't have a direction of what she wanted to do. So she graduated, but she was kind of stuck in a space. And he's like, you know, she's told me all these things like it's environment, it's women's rights, it's immigration issues. And he's like, I know that you two have so many things in common. I want you to meet her. She's fantastic. And I said, well, this is a great day because um, I'm all about um, mentoring women and, and, and other and young adults, right? Because I didn't have that and it's just vital. And so I met her and boy, um, she's all of those things. And so I'm very thankful for some of those community relationships for giving me opportunities to get involved with our youth. I don't have kids. And so for me, it's a way to not only give back, but help the next generation succeed and, and help them get on that path. Because um, I wish I wish we had better tools when I was a young adult to talk about careers or what my skill sets were, what my strengths were, and, and what they weren't. And I think I was so focused on um, being a professional athlete and succeeding. School was secondary to me at that point, right? I had a goal and I had dreams of what I wanted to do. Um, so for her, I think it's been a really good opportunity. So she works part-time in an immigration um, law firm or they work on immigration rights. And then the other half of the time, she works for our ARCH program in Kentwood, which is an after-school program for students. Um, it's, I think there's a grant by the state, they get um, a snack and they get dinner. 
They get homework help and then they have free time, but it, it keeps kids on track to be successful in school. And what a better way for her as a young person to, to give back. And, and so I'm starting to see her develop and ask questions. And I, you know, I ask her, you know, what do you like about your day? Or what do you find challenging? Or, um, you know, so kind of trying to keep her being thoughtful about her professional development or if she wants to go back to school or not. I don't know, but we're, we're continuing to have those conversations to help her process, you know, what are the next steps for her and always encouraging her. I always try to like, I, I wish she would run for city commission. She's fantastic. And so that's one of my goals and I tell her that too. But you know, it's planting those seeds of what's possible. And I think having others behind you that really believe in your potential is so critical, right? Because I think a lot of times we're told, hey, you're not going to finish school and she's not going to graduate or all of those things. But you know what? We need more narratives that tell us what we can do and what we're able to do and, and how we're smart and how we're, we're kind and how we're thoughtful and how we can contribute um, to make a difference in the lives of others. That's what young people need. And, th- and, and that's what, as adults, we need too, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, she's taught me, she's taught me so much, you know, listening to her kind of be mindful and go through her options and choices and what she wants to accomplish in life. It really takes out all the noise and static and really helps you, it helps me focus in on how am I spending my time? Is it purposeful? Is it meaningful? Is it moving the needle? Is it helping others? Um, And and getting rid of that, um, the things that aren't moving the needle. So there is, I saw this interview just yesterday. It was Bill Gates talking to Warren Buffett and Bill Gates had said he showed his calendar and every minute of every day was scheduled out completely where Warren Buffett had like three appointments in his whole week. And he used this little teeny, Warren Buffett used this little teeny um, paper calendar that he pulled out from his breast pocket and they let him, they let uh, Bill Gates thumb through it. And uh, there was three things in there and he's like, I can't believe it. And so Bill Gates had said, you know, time is, is it, it reminds me time is the one thing you can never get back and you need more of. And Warren Buffett said, well, why would I give it to just anybody? And so you, he said, he was also saying, you need a time, you need time for uh, intro, being introspective and thinking and being thoughtful. And so immediately I got home and crossed out two of the things on my calendar that I really didn't want to go to, but I felt like I kind of owed someone. Actually, you don't owe people. Like time and being purposeful and really make a difference is one of the ways I think that creates more happiness. It creates more balance and it gives you con- control back in your own life. And I don't think as adults... I'm very, I'm very easily scheduled out and I need to stop that behavior because that's not, that's not good role modeling for people that we're mentoring either. I'm also curious about risk taking. Mm. And I know that's an important part of personal growth. And Emily, I'm wondering what you've done recently that got you outside of your comfort zone in order to learn something new. Well, you know, I think back, my risk taking have always been calculated risks. So I think there's like, really just like being out there, that's not me. I wish I was more so, but I think some of the calculated risks I've, I've taken is, you know, quitting school mid-semester because I knew traveling the world, learning about cultures, being more culturally competent, um, having bigger life experiences that I hadn't had. That was a calculated risk though, because I knew school would always be there. I knew somehow I'd figure out how to finish the last semester. That wasn't a big deal. 
um, running for office, that was there was a calculated risk, but it's really tricky, I think, putting yourself out there without knowing if you're going to be a failure in front of everybody or if you'll be successful. Um, I worked hard for months and months and months and months and months, giving myself the best opportunity to be successful, taking a calculated risk. Can I ask you a minute? Because you mentioned moving from Lansing over to the Grand Rapids area. How long were you here before you decided to run for your office in Kentwood? So I just looked back, uh, just by coincidence, I've been involved in a city role for about five years of my eight. Um, So you've lived here for eight? Yes, I've lived here for eight. So you weren't here long before you decided, Mm -hmm. I'm going to get more involved? No, you know, I really, I didn't have any intention of running for office. There started to be some crime in my area, and I couldn't find any information on our city's website. So I I found that the city commission meets, didn't really know, you know, what they did or what the roles were, but there was time where I could come and talk and share my concerns with them. And I thought, okay, I better at least do that and seek to understand what was going on in my neighborhood. And so I showed up and said my name and address and uh, told them I was concerned and that I couldn't find much information and sat back down. And then after the meeting was over, you know, the police chief came to me and the mayor introduced himself and so did another city commissioner. And they kind of gave me more data. They told me where to find the data and what was going on. And there were some special initiatives they had going on. And so, you know, they met every couple of weeks. So every couple of weeks, I just kind of go and sit in the audience to seek to understand, really, no agenda. I was the only one there without an agenda. And finally, several, several, several weeks into it, the mayor came up to me after a meeting one night and he said, you know, if you keep showing up, we're going to give you a job to do. And I thought, I don't, I don't know if I need another job. I've got one. But I thought, you know, I can either be a complainer or I can be someone that wants to make a change. And so um, I encouraged myself to be the latter. And it was the really the starting of my advocacy. Um, so I sat on Parks and Rec, which was fantastic. And then that parlayed into a, a role on Planning Commission. And then I really wanted to influence my, you know, and get my, the things that I had on my agenda done. And so I realized I had to have a vote at the city. And so I ran for office. And um, this is my third my third year out of a four-year term right now and I'm learning it still takes a lot of consensus to move the needle so um you know I didn't expect to run for office but it's given me a lot of opportunities to participate not only in Kentwood but Kent County um, and really try to um change really important issues and advocate again so it's been a very pleasant surprise that that I kind of fumbled into by taking advantage of an opportunity someone that someone extended to me yeah and running for office is a risk because of course you risk rejection if you know you're not elected and yeah. I think that you make yourself vulnerable yeah um, so I, I think that's a huge risk um, but it sounds like you are finding it's such a an exciting place to be and although we may not have as many women locally in our um, government but certainly in the state of Michigan we've seen so many women elected to office recently attorney general and governor and so I think it's an exciting time for and certainly nationwide as well 
we have more and more women involved in government? Well, it's very exciting. There's a lot of energy. You see many more people running for office. Um, I, I try to mentor candidates as well. So when someone says they want to run for office, um, I meet with them. I see if we have similar values, you know, the environment and um, championing issues for others, inclusion and equity, you know, all of those things to see if we're kind of like-minded so I can really get behind feeling good about spending time and energy to to mentor them that's important to me and boy it's um that's another thing that's been really rewarding because i think having more equity-minded um, elected officials or business leaders or young adults that are seeking opportunities to become community leaders and that's how i look at it as an elected official to me it's it's more of a community leadership role um, you know, the more of that, I think, really will move the needle in hopes of more equitable outcomes. And you've talked about your values and the work that you're doing. Uh, do you want to say any more about how, like in a day-to-day way, your values influence either your, your day job or the way that you are involved in city government in Kentwood or your aspirations for what else you might do? Yeah, well, I spend a lot, a lot of time um, working on city issues. So right now, I'm actually in the throes of interviewing for new positions, and I should. Uh, I you yourself for yes, a job? Yes, okay. yes, yes, yes. So the so, day job. Yes. Yeah, so my day job. Yes, the one that pays the bills and the mortgage that and one. the car yeah. and the health insurance and all of that. Right. We all have them. So, um, so that should be interesting. But I, I do spend a lot of my free time in the the weekends and evenings. Um, I just came from a, a, a meeting, it was Coalition to End Homelessness because affordable housing is such a huge issue. It's getting to be even a huger issue in Kentwood. And so trying to educate myself on from the, from the experts that have been doing the work for 20, 30 years, I'm, I'm a rookie. Um, so I do spend a lot of time um, behind the scenes. One of the things I've learned too, I'd rather be one of the kids kind of all in a group, not in, in the front, but... What I'm, what I'm learning is when you talk about really changing structural power systems that have a lot to do with, out, with wealth and inequality and kind of holding the status quo, um, you really have to be a voice that's out in front because those, those things won't change by themselves. And so I'd much rather have a role where we work in a collaborative approach but that's, I think that's easy to tamp back down again. And so it's made me start having like community conversations. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, a friend and I organized our first community con- conversation on homelessness, which was we, we got a panel of experts together, invited the community and had a very broad discussion on solutions and how we can bring everybody together and have a regional plan on how to attack affordable housing. And then January 9th, we're going to have another community conversation on immigration issues, which are so hot. And in Kentwood, uh, as I'd mentioned, we have so many refugees that are now new Americans. And how are we supporting them, right? So I'm, I'm realizing these things might not happen, but I'm in a position now as an elected official where it gives me a little bit of... Um, not authority, it, uh, a little bit of 
opportunity to serve and organize in different roles because of this, the office that I hold for this time. Yeah. So as a city commissioner, I, I am my own uh, person. So I don't speak on behalf of the city. So that's very, very separate. And so anything I do is kind of representing this particular seat and role. And so I'd met um, Marshall Kilgore this summer. He is an amazing student at Western Michigan. He's a community advocate. He's so savvy and smart. And we've been looking for a project to do. And so I was talking with our Parks and Recs director. Her name is Val Romeo. And I was just touching base with her one day. And I said, well, Val, you know, what are some of the unmet needs you have at the center? Because I no longer sit on Parks and Recs since I'm a city commissioner now. So I don't, I'm not in the day-to-day, although I'm, I was at the community center yesterday for a senior event. And she said, you know, we have two problems that I really need help with right now. She said, one, we can't keep our food pantry full. And two, we have a huge homeless issue and we're doing the best we can, but there is such a need. And I thought, my goodness. And so that's when I started diving into these particular issues is when she brought them to my attention, because obviously one person or one community center can't possibly solve all of these regional issues. Well, let's stop just for a moment again so I can remind everyone that my guest today is Emily Britson. She is a Kentwood, Michigan, First Ward City Commissioner. Uh, and you mentioned, Emily, just a minute ago that you're doing some job hunting for the, the day job position, your other hat. And, I, you know, like, job hunting is tough. Um, it sounds like you decided that you wanted to make a change in career. And I, I'd love to hear you talk through how you kind of came to that conclusion that you would look for something different and how you're going about your job search. Uh, that's changed a lot in the last few years with LinkedIn and social media and the ways that we apply for jobs. So maybe you can tell us what, what you're doing right now. Yeah, you know, it's, um, I really like it because you get to kind of reevaluate all the possibilities that are out there and refocus. Um, how do I want to really spend my day to day in the in the time each day? And for me, it's being in the community. It's having a positive impact. It's moving the needle. It's influencing the things that I want to get done. You know, just very transparently. Transparently. So, for me, the next role I take really has to have some kind of positive outcome that's palpable to me and my own personal values. And I think the first thing it starts with when you want to find a new job is, is telling your circle of friends because I've had many jobs sent to me from my very good friends. They say, hey, I found this job. You would be amazing at this. Or this sounds just like you. Or this sounds like a lot of the work you're doing. And so then you have all these people wanting you to succeed and helping you to succeed. And so I get a constant influx of opportunities through them that I would have never have seen because everything's so broad. And then there's there's places I know that I really like to work. Like um, one is um, recycling. I really love recycling and you know making the earth a better place. And so there's very natural um, synergies there. There's also a nonprofit. I'm waiting to see if I get a final interview on. I won't say the name, but it has a lot to do with um, food insecurities and meeting those needs and growing those needs in our community. That would be a really great day for me for many reasons, like we talked about with Val sharing with me, our Kentwood kids don't have enough to eat. Um, 
And I use, um, I use, there's a, a networking group that I meet with regularly. There's a bunch of very professional seasoned women that are so smart and savvy. And so we all network and talk together. Like if, if this role isn't good for me, might it be good for you? And so there's many different um, avenues I think you have to take um, for women in particular of getting a role that's appropriate for where you are in your career um, and then something that meets the, the side of finding your passion as well. Well, these interviews are a guide for others, and I think what you just shared is very helpful, not only for younger people who are starting out with career search, but also for those of us who are midstream, getting toward the end, and still trying to think of what else might be out there that's something more challenging or a better fit with values or with what, what we love. I want to ask you about regrets. And if you have any regrets in life that might be helpful for people who are listening to know about and and what you've learned from perhaps a choice that you wish you might have made differently or an experience, maybe something that you had an opportunity to do and you passed on it and later realized, well, that might have been a better better fit. Mm -hmm. Well, there's probably things I should have passed on. (laughs) Let's start with there with jobs that weren't great fit. I think that's that was probably a very good regret I had thinking with my head in financials versus knowing that might not be a great fit for me like emotionally or down the road you know uh, I think that's what I'm guilty of more of versus passing I usually don't pass but now I'll probably pass on something this week and that's hard to do when you're when you're in the throes of a job search and you have to pass on an opportunity because it's not going to be very challenging or it's probably not where you should be. That's a hard decision, I think, as an adult. But what I found is when you take the wrong things, it re, it that manifests in stress and unhappiness and being unfulfilled. And so looking at the short-term monetary value is one thing, but you really want to be happy. And so I think to me, trying to manage not to make choices I know that I shouldn't, right? As an adult, you're being responsible. Those to me are the, the worst choices I can make. And um, so I try, to, I try to make less of those and be very mindful about why am I making this decision and is it truly the best thing for me? Because I think once you let go of being happy and bring stress into the equation, um, life, life is too short for that. What specific values do you hope to pass on to others, whether friends, colleagues, the young people that you're mentoring, and are there any specific things that you're doing? Well, I think um, my first job out of graduate school was being an academic advisor at Michigan State. So I had a lot of teaching and coaching in my background from the sports, and it was a very natural transition. It was coaching students, right, in, in, in academics. And so one of the things I learned, and this is why I'm such an advocate for when I mentor folks is doing something you're passionate about is because I used to um, advise pre-professional students. So students who are looking at applying to become a physician or a dentist or a lawyer, whatever. And sometimes their parents would come in too, right, to help uh, make sure the students weren't making any uh, different choices than they wanted them to. And so 
the student and I often had the meeting before the meeting happened with the parents. And what I mean by that is usually they come in, the, the kids would come in a couple minutes early and we'd sit down and I'm like, okay, so what are you thinking? And what kind of classes? And just t- talking broadly. And, and a lot of times I've, I'd talked to them before, so I already knew a little bit. And so I'd take notes and they'd say, well, yeah, you know, one of the, I remember the student, she said, yeah, one of the things I'd really just love to take is, you know, in addition to biology, chemistry, physics, you know, all, all of the things, right? She's like, you know, I just really saw this art course and I, I really loved it. And, but you can't tell my parents because they won't let me take that. And so then, then the parents would show up. So I'd have all the background ahead of time knowing like where we were not having met the parents yet and the parents would come in and they're like, okay, so how are we going to get this child into, you know, um, medical school and what does that look like and how many courses can they take and keeping them on track and what does that mean and where are the internships and then so that the student wouldn't speak up about the art class. And so I'd have to kind of prompt that discussion and say, okay, so is there any electives that maybe we haven't talked about today? Or did you have other interests in high school that were really compelling to you? Or if they wouldn't bite on those in terms of fessing up, I'd say, what do you spend a lot of your free time doing? And I remember these two parents had wanted to hear nothing of that. And so it, it, it was really interesting to me, I think, watching that happen. It's like, are we, are we encouraging students or young adults and adults too, like you and I, to really follow our passions, right? What we're, re- what we, like when I talk about my community, I really get excited because there's so much really um, wonderful people that live there and so much potential. It's hard for me not to get excited. And if I'm not excited, I'm not doing the right things. But when, when we take away those choices from young, young adults or others about those interests they have and those special talents, are we really doing them a favor? Do we really want them in, I'm not saying this, but physicians are great jobs and make a lot of money, so on and so forth. They have a lot of prestige, but are they really going to be happy? Like dentists have the, the highest level of depression ever. So, you know, are they really happy or are they just making money and then they want to take a four week vacation because they can't stand their lives? I mean, there's probably lots of people that are very happy in those careers, but what I'm suggesting is we have to be mindful about the ways of letting people be who they are, being their authentic selves, regardless of what that is, instead of cutting those things out because someone somewhere doesn't seem value in how does that translate to a career? What would you do? You're gonna be starving. You know, all of these things and not meeting expectations of others. I think that's how we slowly die <laughs> a little bit in, inside each day. And I don't, I don't know what your thought is, but I don't think that's a way we should approach um, helping others kind of find their way in life. Well, you're reminding me of a friend that I knew, have known a long time, and she's a very successful physician. She's had her own practice. She's got a, a big job, but she uh, was telling me recently, and I guess I remember this, that she loved art in high school, loved art, wanted a career in art, but was really steered by family into science and medicine. I don't know that she regrets it, but she says at this stage of her life, her real passion would be landscape architecture and working with plants. Now, the other thought I have is, I think for most of us, we have our job, and if our job is not our passion, then we can do things that are extracurricular. We find hobbies. We, um, And I, I think that that's another way to get there. Maybe the, the ideal thing is that 
your your vocation, your job really aligns with what you're passionate about, but yeah. it doesn't for everyone. And I think the point is that you find then something else, like you're doing with your um, your city commission job, with mentoring. Um, for many people, it has to do with hobbies, things mm-hmm. that they just love doing and kind of get lost in when they have free time. What are your thoughts about that? Well, it's funny because I was discussing this last night that um, someone was on the other side and her name's Liz. She's one of my friends. She's like, oh, no. She's like, I believe in, you know, going and making, you know, doing the work and having the job because then I want to live my life and have those things that I want and then doing them in my spare time. And 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 so I politely disagreed with her because I'd rather spend more of my day doing the things that I love. Um, and I was in sales and marketing for a very long time, did it very competitive, so it was a good fit for me, but it it really didn't move the needle for me. And so that's why I started spending all of my times on boards and committees and running for office and all of these things um, because it was unfulfilling. Now, my sister has a different philosophy. She says, you know, we go to work because people pay us to be there, right? And that's kind of the end of it. And so... I think there's many different ways and many different personalities. There's ways of looking at this from very different filters. For me personally, I'm now mid-career. I really want the last 20 years of my career to be as impactful as they can to me personally and in my community, and that's really not a value that I will sacrifice anymore. But those are all choices, right? You probably made different choices, and I'm, I'm very probably different than you, and so, there's many choices, but I think you have to be mindful of the choices you're making. And my dad will turn 70 in April. So my sister and I are, are getting very excited about celebrating with him. And so I'm starting to see him age. And now that I'm mid-career, you know, life is short. Life is really short and I'm starting to understand that. And so do you want to be miserable? Do you want to just get by? Do you want to just pick up a paycheck or do you really want to take some risks? Do you really want to try to put yourself out there knowing that you'll have failures? And I for sure have had those as well. And do you really want to try to live with a purpose? Those are two, in my opinion, very different ways to live, all different choices, but being mindful about the choice you're making and understanding the repercussions of that, knowing, I think, being passionate and taking those risks, it's a lot of darn work. Um, But would I change it? Absolutely not, because I think I'd be so miserable if I just kept on keeping on with what, what I had been really good at, but I wasn't really enjoying. So... There's many different, I think, opinions, and I don't know what your opinion is, but um, you know, I think you have to make the right choice for you. Yeah, well, that's rich food for thought. And these interviews, in, in large part, are directed to younger people who are thinking these things through. So, so helpful to hear your point of view and your life experience, and that you are trying some new things and willing to reshape your life at this stage, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting. Um, Do you think that living according to your values has gotten harder or easier as you've gotten older? Well, it's interesting because I just got, I think from my perspective, I just got a a very big... I understand something now and someone had said it probably three three months ago and I heard it for the very first time and it was really meaningful was know yourself. 
because I think when you know yourself, and that's why when I was thinking through what values really represent me, they were community, um, justice, and influence, then you can really make choices surrounding your value system, right? And when you make more of those choices that really line up with your values, the happier you are. And so it sounds very simple when you say know yourself, but what it's really what it means to me is that you're letting go of the things that really that that aren't in your values that are not important, and it's letting go of um, stressful things because when you when you try to put, force yourself into a box that's really not your box, that creates a lot of tension and, and, and anxiety. And so we have choices all the time that we can make. Well, people talk about the work life balance, but I think the, one of the other big things in life that has to be balanced is how much time do you give away to others and how much time do you hang on to for yourself, for self care, for just you know being happy, doing what you love. It is, um, but I think you have to advocate for yourself. Um, and again, I think knowing yourself, that's probably one of the biggest things I would say to young people. Like uh, my mentee that I was talking about, the the young young adult, someone was trying to, trying to try to force her into volunteering. And so after the meeting, I had to send her a text saying, you know, these are your choices, right? You and how you spend your time is up to you. Do not let anybody force you to do A, B, or C, or you feel compelled or obligated. I said, these are all choices that you own for yourself because you know, you you want to be you want to help illustrate good behaviors. Emily, what makes life meaningful for you today? Um, you know, I think it's really it's influencing the world, so it's more just and equitable to me. That's that's really important, and it's trying to trying to be more balanced. I think it's also helping others find their way. I love giving people a voice and helping them understand that there's opportunities out there and I'm hopeful that they take them. Um, I'd love for more people to serve on boards and commissions in Kentwood. I think diverse voices around a table um, make such more robust decisions. And we're living in a global society. I mean, we're living in one in Kentwood for sure, but the world is a global society. So the more we can um, work together and use all of that, the, the cultures and languages and different perspectives on how to tackle problems, um, the better we're all going to be. And so I try to focus a lot of my time doing that type of work. Um, and then probably environmental too. That's that's really that's really something I've had on my mind quite a bit. I saw that Greta won um, Person of the Year for Time Magazine. Greta Thunberg, the, yeah. Yeah, the young activist, the climate activist, yeah. And I was listening and I, I listened to one of her speeches and I, I mean, she's so passionate. She's holding people accountable. She is saying, you know, the world is changing and it will continue to change. So hey adults get on board and actually make this happen because you're actually the people in charge for for her future and my niece's future right i mean who doesn't who doesn't love an advocate who speaks to power and tries to hold people accountable 
not because I'm sure she wants to be in that position because she said she should be home be going to school, right? I'm sure, right? She'd want to go to school and be home and doing these, the things she should be doing as a child. Um, but it's it's holding people accountable. And it's I think it's people like you and me that are in power or in positions where we can make a difference. Um, to me, that's really... That's really encouraging, um, but I wish more of us adults would do that since we're in a, a position to do that right now. Your value of inclusion, I'm just being reminded, so early this year in January, Bill McKibben was a guest on the show, okay. and I asked him about his heroes, and he mentioned Greta Thunberg. So that was almost a year ago, back when probably most people wouldn't have known mm. her name. Um, I think the fact that she is on the autism spectrum yes. is so interesting because the fact that she does see the world differently is a gift to all of us. And so when you're talking about bringing everybody in, why would we limit the talent pool? Why would we say only these people get to have a voice or get to make the decisions? Shouldn't everybody be part of that? Well, and it's so funny when you think about restorative justice. So this is another really big area. And I've been talking about it with others. And I'm just, again, just a rookie. Um, State Rep Dave Legrand and Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, I heard them speak probably about six months ago on restorative justice, right? It's... um, So why wouldn't we, as companies in this area, when citizens are returning uh, to our community, i.e. being released from prison or jail, why wouldn't we find a place for them at our places of employment and talk to HR? And some companies, like um, I think it's Value, Valley City Electronic Recycling that's locally here in Kentwood. Um, their CEO, uh, Jason, is a huge believer in, in giving people another chance. He's like, you know what, you've got to be a little bit more flexible, right? They have different appointments and things they have to go to, just like you and I have to go to the dentist. We have different appointments we go to, but why wouldn't we give them the ability to get back and be um, um, being able to earn wages and pay for rent and buying houses and getting back into our community? Why wouldn't you give them that opportunity to do so? And so um, when you talk about the talent pool, we are really limiting our talent pool if we don't find a place for others um, that have been incarcerated. Um, so I'm a huge advocate for that. When I when I meet someone in HR, I often say, "Well, okay, so what are your what are your policies on returning citizens, or what does that look like?" And sometimes I'll say, "What are you talking about?" Which I, that means there's no policies there. There's been no thought. Or others are saying, "Yeah, we're really talking about or or like Value City Electronic Recycling. We do these things, and we do the." here's how we do these things. And so I think being mindful about how we're inclusive of others, uh, regardless of their situations or maybe their abilities, like we were talking about with Greta, how are we being mindful so that more of us are included into that picture? And I think we have to have a plan and conversations around how those things occur, because I don't think they occur without having being very mindful of all those things. Final question for you. Uh, closing thoughts about leading, living by leading from your values. Yeah, I think it's really important. I think uh, talking about Warren Buffett, right? Taking the time to be introspective and really being thoughtful about are you living a happy life? And if you're not, what do you need to do to change that, right? I always think too, I think people need to think big 
um, whether it's what you want to do at work or your free time, and really have some substantial life goals. I feel like we get tamped down quite a bit with, uh, should you do that? Is that for you? Are you smart enough? Are you educated enough? Are you this, that, right? There's pay enough. There's a million reasons, right? There's a million reasons we hear all the time about the why nots. I think um, really being thoughtful in what do you really want to do? Like if there was no limits and what's in your heart and not listening to all the critics, right? Uh, you know, everybody's a critic, but are they, if, they're, if they're not your friend, why would you listen to them being your critic, right? You probably shouldn't, right? Um, and then I think it's being true to what's in your heart. So for me, the biggest mistakes I've made Um, and I shouldn't say mistakes, there are opportunities that I've really tried to be thoughtful and learn about is, are you thinking about from your head, is it coming from a place of doing what you think is right and what makes sense? Or are you leading from a place of um, listening to your heart and what's really gonna make you happy? Um, I wanna know, like as a public community leader, I, my goal is to have have made the way so others will follow because to me their voices are valued. And just because they're not there today, um, they should be there tomorrow, right? And it's trying to open the doors for people and motivate them and giving them inspiration um, to how to make our communities and our world a better place. And it's it's with the Gretas, it's with our returning citizens, it's with all of us, and it's with people like me clearing out the barriers and giving them uh, the motivation and inviting them and also listening. Um, I feel like I have to listen much more to the people that are already doing the work or are the experts or are the new Americans because that's not my experience and it's not for me to try to figure out solutions that I just can't understand because that's not my experience. And so, um, yeah, that's what I that's what I would say for young people and, and folks I mentor. Those are the really important things for me. And then they can kind of apply those to their own lives, right? To see to make sure it makes sense with their value system. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today, Emily Britson, first ward city commissioner in Kentwood, Michigan. I also want to thank you for tuning in today. Our producer is Sean O'Melia. Our social media coordinator is Cassie Betton. Our marketing director is Gwen Vogelzang, and I'm your host, Cindy Camp. Please join us again soon.